1: brand hold the number one market position in all segments in the industry. Based on the way the season is performing, we expect it to end with a very low level of network inventory again this year, which will lead to strong shipment in the next fiscal year. For Snowmobile, we are currently in the slow period of the season. Our retail was down due to limited product availability as we ended last season with an all-time low level of inventory in the network. Still, we are very well positioned for the upcoming season with a record level of unit pre-sold to consumer. Continuing on slide 13 with a look at power sport parts, accessories, and apparel, and OEM engines. Revenue were up 19% to $249 million for the quarter. Year to date, revenue increased by about 30% in each of our product lines. This growth is driven by higher volume of replacement parts due to increased product usage combined with strong unit retail, which is generated, which generates increased accessory sales across all product lines. Our extensive lineup of parts, apparel, and accessories, notably our proprietary link system is driving strong consumer demand. Now looking to Marine on slide 14, revenue were up 56% to $125 million. The benefit from a favorable mix of both sold and lower sales program more than offset the lower volume of outboard engines sold due to the wind down of even room. Looking at retail sales, both Alumacraft and Manitou saw retail decline in the quarter as sales were more made earlier in the season compared to last year. However, both brands are performing well year to date with North American retail up low single digit for Alumacraft and high team percent for Manitou. As for Telwater, we were at the end of the boating season in Australia. Retail continued to perform well and was up high single digit for the quarter. We also host a virtual event with our Alumacraft and Manitou dealers three weeks ago, where we introduced our 2022 lineup. It included improvements to our Alumacraft Pro City Bass Boat and to our Manitou XT and Elix models. We are pleased with the progress we've made in our marine business and are looking forward to launching new boats with the Ghost engine in each of our three brands <coughs> in the second half of 2022. With that, I turn the call over to Sébastien.
2: Thank you, José, and good morning, everyone. As José mentioned, we carried our strong momentum into the second quarter and closed the first half of the year with very solid results that came in above our expectations. This performance was broad-based with robust revenue growth across all product categories and regions. From a profitability standpoint, we had another exceptional quarter as we generated $570 million of gross profit on $1.9 billion of revenue, resulting in a 29.9% margin. Compared to last year, the gross profit margin benefited from better fixed cost absorptions as last year's second quarter margin suffered from the temporary production shutdown. The exit from outboard engine business, especially as we had additional costs related to the wind down of Evernrude in last year's second quarter. And a positive impact from higher volume favorable product mix and lower sales programs, which were partly offset by our production and distribution costs and unfavorable effects. With this strong gross profit generation and lower than expected operating expenses, we delivered $415 million of normalized EBITDA and generated $2.89 of normalized diluted earnings per share. Worth noting that these were our strongest quarterly results ever. From a cash flow perspective, we generated $417 million of cash from operations and invested $217 million in working capital, notably as we continue operating with higher level of work and process inventory and are managing through supply chain constraints. We also invested $132 million in CapEx and returned $361 million to shareholders, primarily through the successful completion of our SIB, under which we repurchased 3.4 million shares. Turning to slide 17 for a more detailed look at the key drivers of our normalized income growth for the quarter. As you can see from the chart, our normalized income grew $149 million from last year's second quarter, driven by a positive impact from volume, mix, pricing and sales program, representing $393 million, which was partly offset by the negative impacts of increased production costs and depreciation expense for 66 million dollars higher operating expense for 83 million as we continue investing for our long-term growth higher normalized tax expense for 52 and unfavorable foreign exchange variation for 43 million dollars this resulted in 250 million dollars of normalized net income for the quarter coming in stronger than expected mainly because we were able to ship more units than we had initially planned we benefited from lower than anticipated sales programs and we continue to diligently manage our spending, which resulted in lower operating expenses versus our plan. Now moving out to slide 18 for a quick look at our network inventory situation. As Jose mentioned, we continue operating with very low levels of network inventory, which is limiting our ability to generate retail growth. In fact, despite increasing our production output in the quarter, consumer demand for our products continue to outpace the capacity to supply products and resulted in an inventory decline of 51% versus last year and 76% versus two years ago. While this situation is definitely not optimal, we believe that low levels of inventory are widespread across the industry and once we gain the full benefit of our additional production capacity in the coming months and supply chain disruptions are mitigated, we will be very well positioned to take advantage of the sustained consumer interest in our products. Now let me provide you with a bit of context before getting into the updated guidance by looking at slide 19. As you know, many industries, including power sports, have been dealing with supply chain challenges for the better part of the year. So far, we have been able to manage through this turbulence while limiting the negative impact on our business. Still, we remain vigilant as the situation is constantly evolving with pressure coming from the semiconductor shortage COVID-related factory shutdowns, especially in Southeast Asia, and labor shortages in North America. While we have limited direct exposure to these issues, many of our suppliers have to deal with such challenges on a daily basis, putting pressure on their operations and limiting their ability to commit to firm delivery schedules for parts. As such, we expect increased variability in the timing of reception of components from suppliers during the second half of the year This may impact our production schedules and the timing of product shipments over the next few quarters. Still, we continue to aim to deliver on all dealer orders we have on hand, and we plan to continue to produce at capacity, store or ship to dealers some unfinished products, and retrofit them once missing components are received. Based on the visibility we have today, we expect that these supply chain issues will weigh in more on Q3 which will limit our wholesale in the quarter. Nonetheless, we expect to be in a good position to retrofit most of the units in the fourth quarter, leading to a much stronger fourth quarter. While we are comfortable with our plan, we are operating with lower visibility than we usually do, which may lead to delays in shipments of units between Q3 and Q4, and even between Q4 and the first quarter of next year. This is why we have updated our guidance with a wider-than-usual range as you can see on slide twenty. In light of the better than plan results achieved so far this year and the continued lower level of sales program throughout the rest of the year, we are comfortable increasing the higher end of our seasonal and power sports PNA and OEM engine revenue guidance ranges. And we are also maintaining the higher end of the year-round products and marine revenue guidance ranges intact, tax, despite the su- potential supply chain headwinds. No that we have lowered the bottom end of the year on products revenue guidance range to reflect the impact of the loss SSV units in the fire. With these adjustments, we now expect total company revenues to grow between 27 and 35%. We have also adjusted our profitability metrics to reflect elements previously mentioned and to account for higher commodity costs, which are mostly offset by pricing increases and additional costs resulting from inefficiencies due to the ongoing supply chain issues. Following the adjustments and accounting for our strong H1 results, we now expect normalized EBITDA to grow between 30 and 47%. And after taking into account our revised assumptions for financing cost and depreciation expense, and using a lower share count as, as a result of the SIB, our normalized DPS is now expected to end between 825 and 975, representing a growth between 53 and 81%. As for expectations in terms of quarterly results for the back half of the year, as I already mentioned, our objective is to deliver on dealer orders we have despite managing through supply chain pressures. We expect that these issues could weigh more on Q3 and then improve as the year progresses to provide more upside in Q4. At the midpoint of our guidance, we would expect normalized EPS to grow about 40% in Q4. On that, I'll turn the call over to Jose.
1: Thank you, Sebastien. <clears throat> to conclude, we've delivered record results in the first half of the year. We're able to achieve this thanks to our solid execution across the company and the very strong consumer demand. Short term, we'll concentrate on delivering a solid second half of the year. We'll focus on managing and mitigating supply interruption and deliver on our production plan. Our objective remains to deliver all order on end. Based on this, we are confident in our ability to achieve our revised guidance. Furthermore, we are confident about the future as we expect to benefit from numerous key initiatives and trends including new product introduction such as Project Ghost and the Tidus switch. The latter represents a new business for us and is already proving quite promising. In fact, you can expect more product introduction over the next three years than we have done in the past three. The sustained consumer interest in power, sport, and marine. Our strategy for new entrants, which is progressing well, every day that passes provides us with greater confidence in our ability to turn them into lifelong customers. The upcoming significant inventory replenishment cycle that is expected to take place over the next 12 to 18 months. The additional production capacity from URS3 and Quevetero, which is expected to have a positive impact over the next two years, starting in fiscal year 23, and the electrification of all our product lines. As you can see, we are well positioned to drive long-term growth and continue to outpace the industry. We are confident in our ability to execute and our growth strategy in fiscal year 23 and beyond i insist on expressing my sincere gratitude to our employee dealer and suppliers for their collaboration commitment and patience during these challenging times. in this ever-changing world their agility dedication and capacity to successfully manage is impressive and truly make the difference on that note I turn the call over to the operator for question.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, at this time, if you would like to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Again, that is star one to ask a question. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. We will pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Your first question is from the line of Robin Farley with UBS.
5: Great. Thank you. Um, Two questions. uh, Obviously, fantastic quarter. Uh, I'm just wondering, um, you know, we hear a lot from dealers about some um, OEMs that have made market share gains where they don't have as, as much um, kind of a, 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 as an availability issue. And I'm wondering, some of them are newer entrants um, into the off-road market. And I'm wondering if those are counted in your industry um, measure of market share in that data. And then I guess sort of either way, I wonder if you have general thoughts on some of these new entrants, um, you know, kind of taking advantage of the lack of availability and, and um, just kind of. Uh, to the degree that could be sort of making inroads into the into the future. Thanks.
1: Uh, good morning, Robin. Uh, I mean, for sure, uh, in the uh, supply r- uh, restriction that we have in the network, from time to time we hear dealers that are saying that they've lost some customers, but it's, to be honest, it's minimal; it's it's quite small number. And what we are very happy with, like I said in my my intro. Uh, the, this, those new entrants uh, are growing. Uh, we're at 43% in Q2 versus 41, and you know our historical average was 20%. But more and more, we survey them quarter after quarter. We see that they intend to stay within the industry, um, and the repurchase cycle is better. Then everything is is pointing in the right direction to make them have. Uh, Lifelong customer, and obviously, right now, when we do our projection for the future, we count them in because uh, we believe that that trend is too strong uh, not to count them in our future uh, planning.
5: Okay, great. No, thank you. That's very helpful. And then, um, second question is, you know, looking at your um, comment about. retail sales through the quarter and comparing to others' comments about the June quarter, you know, it looks like July, you know, was a, a bit worse in terms of product availability in retail, not not surprising. So I guess just looking at your guidance, um, you know, I guess what gives you the confidence that Q4 logistics would be um, getting so much better? is, I mean, is it just that you feel like it can't possibly get worse? Or, you know, I guess just to try and get that... Um, that conviction that things won't sort of continue to be at these difficult levels, you know, in, into Q4 potentially. Thanks.
1: And then uh, obviously right now, the, the, like Sébastien said, there is three area uh, of challenges, the semiconductor, the COVID restriction impact on manufacturing operation in the South Asia, and the labor shortage mainly in North America. And, and the second one, the COVID res- restriction in South Asia, uh, OEM over there, a company who manufacturer components, are getting better with sanitary measures. Most of them vaccine themselves, their employees, and we believe uh, uh, we're going in the right direction. In terms of semiconductor, uh, you know that many uh, chips are produced in those countries, and there was a fire in Japan. After that, there was a few factories shut down in Malaysia but now those factories are back to normal. When we've talked to our supplier who supply to us electronic components like an engine, a computer, or a cluster for the vehicle, uh, they believe with what they know today that the situation will improve on the back end of 2021 and through 2022. Uh, I don't think it will come back to normal in 2022, but we are confident that when we, from where we are today, the situation will improve in the next uh, 12 to 18 months. Then that's why uh, our guidance has a wide range because with what we know today, uh, we'll be closer to the high end. If there is some other uncertainty, it will be uh, more difficult, but that's why we decided to widen the range.
5: Okay, great, thank you very much.
3: Your next question is from the line of Joe Altebello with Raymond James.
6: Thanks. Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, so first question is, is back to the guidance, EPS guidance in particular. Uh, the raise looks to be largely margin-driven along with a lower share count to some degree. What's been better than you thought so far this year from a profitability standpoint? Is it mix? Is it um, input costs, et cetera?
2: Yeah, good morning, Joe. Uh, obviously, uh, there are many factors that, that, that are driving the financial results. There, there are a lot of pluses and minuses, but the big, the big pluses are obviously um, sales program. The, the, the promotional environment is still very healthy for OEMs um, and for dealers as well. And so uh, we don't have to offer as much promotions as we initially anticipated, and that's what drove the better results in the second quarter um obviously with the, the the high level of demand and the we'll, we'll call it the scarcity of, of production um, oems and we are more selective in which product we make and yes the mix is richer as well um, that's a plus um obviously there are some headwinds that we're seeing on commodity costs and logistics but we're able to offset some of that with um with pricing and uh, and surcharges as well
6: it, that's helpful and just maybe secondly i apologize if i missed this um, in terms of your full-year outlook for retail, is it still flat to up high singles for this year?
2: Yes, uh, flat high to, uh, high to uh, low single digit That's the right number. Obviously, year-to-date, we're flat-ish. Q3 is going to be a tough one because we're going into the third quarter with super low uh, network inventory and with the supply chain challenges that Josie just talked about is going to be a challenge. Uh, the expectation is for Q4 to be up and for the full year to be uh, flat to, high, to uh, low single digit.
6: Okay, great, thank you.
2: Your next question is from the line
3: of Martin Landry with Stifel GMP.
6: Hi, good morning. Um, I, uh, I just wanted to get a bit more clarity on on your guidance for the back half. Um, you're seeing that you expect q4 APS to increase at uh, at 40% year over year and using the midpoint so so that would suggest that uh your q3 would be uh weaker uh and you know could be down even um lower than 2 years ago so uh, you know just trying to understand exactly um what's what's um what's putting pressure on your q3 you know looking at your inventory levels on your balance sheet, it doesn't look super low. Um, uh, Has there been some pull forward sales into Q2 or like uh,
2: just a bit of color would be helpful? Sure, good morning, Martin. Um, First, yes, as I said earlier, Q2 ended better because we shipped more units. Uh, Some of that was pulled forward. So we had finished good inventory that we were able to um, wholesale in the quarter. So that obviously reduces the units available for sale in the third quarter. But the big challenge in the third quarter is, as I mentioned earlier, it's the, uh, the supply chain and our ability to produce finished goods. We have, will have more retrofit units at the end of Q3 than we have at the end of Q2. Um, these uh, units will be reworked in the, our expectation in the fourth quarter. So from a volume perspective, obviously that's going to impact Q3 and that's why the profitability will be down. Um, but as uh, Jose indicated, we uh, talk with our suppliers, and we have they give us visibility as to when uh, and the ranges of supply, and so we're confident that Q4 is um, is a number that we can deliver. Okay. And then again, on, on, you, you've got some comments
6: uh, talking about 2023 uh, fiscal twenty three, talking about uh, you, you're you're expecting further growth. Just to clarify, when you're talking about further growth,
2: are you talking about revenue growth or EPS growth? Uh, it's, it's both. Uh, we itemized what the opportunities are for next year. Obviously, we have added capacity. Uh, we have to do switch. Um, we have as well, new products that we'll be introducing, and there is a obviously a, a extremely low level of inventory in the network that needs to replenish. So from a top line perspective, We anticipate growth, and from a profitability perspective as well. Um, If you take just the midpoint of the guidance for this year, uh, our expectation is that we're able to generate double-digit EPS growth next year. Double-digit EPS growth for for fiscal 23. Yep. Okay,
6: perfect. Thank you.
3: Your next question is from the line of Derek Johnson with BMO Capital Markets.
7: Oh, hey uh good morning thank you uh, i want to talk about your your distribution process uh and so you don't ship pre-orders polaris points to its use of pre-orders as uh as an asset as well as so its retail flow management can you talk about your process and how you distribute and why it's better than than the competition
1: yeah good morning garek then maybe <clears throat> my, my answer will be a bit long but i, I will give you the big picture as, as sebastian said the main challenges right now are semiconductor COVID restriction in the Saudis and labor shortage in North America. And we believe all the OEM are facing the same challenges and we're not better than the others. But the way we do it, first, we, uh, in, in our, we, keep, we try to keep what we control, our production planning very stable. We don't want to change production schedule. Uh, and for watercraft, snowmobile and tree wheel, We're allocating product for one year. The dealer gave us the mix and the wish list, but when the booking is done, we freeze it. We try to freeze it for the the year on our side. For ATV side by side, right now, we're allocating the product by a period of three months. And again, we try to freeze what we produce to minimize uh, the interruption from our, uh, our end. After that, we work with supplier to optimize the supply. And because we have a diversified product portfolio and a geographic diversification, we try to allocate and prioritize components uh, depending of the retail season. Like right now, if we have a cluster, we'll put it on a snowmobile instead of a watercraft because nobody needs a watercraft. Me, not the, the peak season is, is next, next spring. Then this is how we prioritize component between product line, and. Also, we've took the decision with the dealer. We consult a few key dealer to retrofit, to produce with missing part, then we will retrofit unit in our factory and at the dealer level. And the goal is to honor all orders. And our team is very agile, but disciplined to implement those principles. Then that's our recipe. Um, And so far, uh, it's not obviously perfect, but it's working quite well.
7: Okay, and and one more, just, could you quantify perhaps the the order of magnitude, you know, the contribution expected from Switch? We hear, you know, sellouts and model your sellouts, but I really don't have any idea how to model Switch right now. So uh, what what, what should we anticipate in terms of top-line contribution?
1: But here, the boating industry, uh, you know, is a $20 billion uh, plus business, and it's a big opportunity for us. And just to give you a sense, we estimated that this calendar year, 2021, the pontoon industry in North America will be about 80,000 units. But there is a fleet of used product. It's about 600,000 units that, that have been produced in the last 15 years. And we know that switch like Spark will, uh, will attract to uh, the used market, the trade-in. Then we believe quickly the switch could grow the industry from 80 to 100,000 units a year Let's see in the next three years, and we're targeting 15% market share. Then uh, we believe that switch could become a $500 million business in about three years, uh, midterm term uh, time life.
7: Okay, okay, I can work
1: with that. Thank you. Thank you.
7: Your next question is
3: from the line of Mark Patry with the CIBC.
8: Yeah. Good morning. Um, just with regard to the labor situation, um, just wonder if there's any effect uh, in your in your Mexico uh, operation.
1: Good morning, Mark. Uh, to be honest, no. Uh, the labor situation in Mexico is good. Uh, it's uh, uh, we don't have any labor shortage in Mexico, and this is obviously with now four factory in the country. This is uh, giving us some flexibility uh, in Europe. Finland, uh it's the same thing, not much labor difficulty. Obviously, Canada and United States are more difficult affecting uh, all our manufacturing side, but also our supplier. But in Mexico, it's very well, very good.
8: Okay, excellent, thanks. And um, and then could you, uh, I mean, that last answer was, was very helpful with regards to the switch. Um, can you give us a sense of how the capacity for that uh, will be ramping. uh, And then also anything you can comment in regards to the same idea for for Ghost. And then also how that factors into your CapEx
1: plans for fiscal 23. And in terms of capacity, uh, in any of our new product line, we'll always uh, plan our capacity or capacity two phase then right now phase one is ready uh, as you remember the hall the motorized hall will be assembled in Queritaro shipped to sturdivant and the production will start uh, at the end of q4 uh, but uh, capacity with what we see right now the demand obviously is very good uh, a lot of units are already pre-sold to consumer and we are ready to uh, to, uh, to increase the second phase of capacity if we see that the demand is there. It's a bit too early to call the shot. But um, like I said, I mean, we intend, we, we believe that the pontoon industry in North America could be in the range of 100,000 units quite fast, and we uh, targeting uh, 15% market share, then we're ready to grow, if we uh, to ready to invest in more capacity if the need is there. On your
2: question for uh, CapEx for next year, obviously uh, this, this year is a big year for CapEx investments, almost $600 million at the high end of the range. Uh, we, we are investing this year in assembly line capacity. We'll have investments next year on the manufacturing side, um, powertrain, uh, PWC. Uh, so I'm expecting to, to, to have a, a sustained investments next year. Uh, probably in the range of where we are this year. Obviously, we're investing in new products as well, um, and that's requiring uh, capex. So, um, and Jose mentioned that we're, our, our pace of introduction is gonna be high in the next three years. And so obviously that comes with capex.
8: Okay, thanks very much. I'll pass the line. Thank you.
3: Your next question is from the line of Xi'an with Xane BNP Paribas.
8: Hi guys, thanks for the question. Um, I just want to dig into slide 19 a bit more. Um, so you show how much you know you have expected production. I'm just curious, how does that compare to production
6: in you know if there were no supply chain disruption or full capacity? What? How does that? Is it 20% higher? 30% higher? You can give well, a of
2: that. Yeah, when I'm looking at Q3 versus a year ago, capacity is expected to go up uh, double digit. Uh, that's We'll call it the total output that is, uh, is units that are going to be available for sale and also units that would be retrofitted. Um, and if you're looking at Q4, you're, you're going to see that line actually up versus Q3. So a further increase happening in Q4. So we are running at almost full capacity. We could produce more if the supply chain disruptions were not um, as bad but we are taking advantage of uh, all of our, uh, all of the shifts available to produce units.
6: Okay, got it. And then can you maybe put it into context versus Q2? Um, so it's Q4, you know, you're showing, you're talking about improving the supply chain. Um, is it, you know, even better than Q, Q2 or is it kind of getting back to Q2 after maybe a dip in Q3?
2: Well, I think the first half of Q4 is still going to be tight. Probably in the bottom end of Q4, that's when things will be more normalized. In terms of output, obviously, Q4 is going to be higher than Q2 because now we have the new personal watercraft capacity that's coming online, and we also have uh, YS3 that's going to be online in the third and fourth quarter. So so higher than Q2 in terms of output, yes.
8: Right, okay, got it. Thank
2: Thank you.
6: Your
3: next question is from the line of Jan Katz with Morningstar.
9: Hi, good morning. I actually sort of want to piggyback on that question because I I think um, it looks like there's a little bit of of slack in the um, in in the capacity um, utilization and manufacturing chain, but I think you articulated that um, that it would be something like 12 to 18 months until the dealer channel was replenished, and I guess I was expecting it to be a bit longer given that um, retail retail demand would theoretically be significantly higher if uh, there was actually inventory in the channel. So, um, is there a way to reconcile those dates um, to to feel more confident that that's the right timeline to get back to the appropriate inventory levels?
1: Then good morning. Then just to, to come back on your capacity usage, typically, uh, and you, if you look historically, our second half is always has been stronger than our first half because we introduced new product, let's say, uh, in August for the new season, and typically uh, our factory for watercraft, snowmobile, uh, all the seasonal product and year-round product are running uh, at full capacity. Obviously, right now with a new line for watercraft and uris 3 that is is uh, ramping up uh capacity will be more in fiscal year beginning of 2022 but we always been using our uh our factories almost at max on uh, h2 Get from there. Yeah,
2: and maybe on your inventory question, uh, we finished Q2 uh, with the lowest level of inventory there since the the beginning of the pandemic. Inventory in Q2 was actually down 25% compared to Q1. So our expectation is that there's going to be no replenishment this year. Replenishment is going to start next year, at the end of next year, and into fiscal year 24. That's our expectation for uh, for replenishment.
9: Okay. And then for um, with inventory, does that? Can you sort of walk us through your expectations of what that looks like over the next few quarters as um, the supply chain becomes less strangled? Thanks.
2: It's it's still going to be uh, still going to be tight. There's a obviously there's a a a, um, a tailwind of demand there. Consumers are waiting for their products, so everything that we ship to dealers uh, in the next. Few quarters uh, is most likely going to be retailed very quickly. You, Jose mentioned that a lot of dealers are resold out on Switch, and Switch is going to be wholesale wholesale up until June next year. Or so, our expectation is that as there is a, a, uh, a backlog of demand, uh, we won't see inventory replenishment happening in the in the next few quarters, and it's only in the back half of next year that we should see uh, inventory starting to build up. Okay that so will
3: stay inflated for some time. Thank you. Your next question is from the line of Benoit Poirier with Desjardins, Mark Capital Markets.
7: Yeah. Good morning, everyone, and congratulations again for the good quarter. Uh, with respect to fiscal year 23, uh, could, could you maybe talk a little bit about the uh, the margin expectation, and also could you quantify the, uh, the 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 size of the inventory replenishment? Whether it's still 1.3 billion uh, of potential revenue uh,
2: over a 12 to 18 months period. Well, obviously, for next year, we are expecting some headwinds. Uh, Obviously, commodity are going to continue to be a headwind, uh, but we should be able to offset that through pricing. Uh, If I look at this year, expected the margin is about 17 to 18%. I would expect that next year as well. Programs are going to be probably a headwind for us, but obviously, we'll be benefiting from the increased volume, better asset utilization, better operational leverage. And also, uh, Mission 2020, you all know that we have some cost-saving targets. We'll also be getting those as we introduce new products with better margins. So, our expectation is that margins should be similar to what we've had this year.
7: Okay, that's great. And would you be able to to quantify the size of the inventory replenishment, uh,
2: Sébastien? We, uh, well, as I said, the inventory is extremely low. Uh, in this at the end of Q2 is the is the record low. Uh, you, when you look at the historical levels where we were, obviously the industries has grown have grown a lot. The, if if I can simplify it for you, the inventory replenishment opportunity is almost equivalent to a quarter of wholesale. That's what it could be. Okay, okay, perfect. And,
7: and last one for me, you already provide some color about the switch uh, in terms of market size down uh, down the road, but could you maybe provide some color about the mix and level of accessories ordered so far versus the uh, initial expectation?
1: Yeah, good morning, Benoit. Uh, difficult, I mean, if you remember, just to give you a sense for, for, for all the, the analysts and the investor, you know, the, the switch, if you go the low the low and the compact 113-foot, it's starting at $18,000, and the 21-foot crews go up to $36,500. But you can have some package. As you know, we have uh, three package. We have uh, the, the three package, and uh, if I give you the example of the water sport and fun package, then it's a package of $7,000, then if you say, cruise 21, which retails for 40, uh, 36,000 dollar, and you had the water and fund package, you ending up at 43,000 dollar. Then it's anywhere between 18 and I would say 45,000 dollar. And right now it's a bit early. Uh, we have a, a lot of pre, a lot of pre-order in the system, but I would say we're tracking slightly above 30,000 dollar US.
7: Okay, that's great caller. Thank you very much again and uh, congratulations.
8: Okay,
1: you, Benoit.
3: Your next question is from the line of Fred Whiteman with Wolf Research.
8: Hey, guys, good morning. I just wanted to follow up on some of the, the expected tailwinds from the Juarez facility. I, I think you made the comment that you're still expecting that 50% capacity boost by January. Just given how tight the supply chain is today, can you maybe give us a sense for when you started to make some orders with suppliers just how good the line of sight is to ramp? It It just seems like a big ask for, you know, four months from now.
1: Yeah, good morning. Then then obviously, the again, I'm coming back to the uh, – uh the the supply chain right now the main difficulty is semiconductor uh at at the beginning of 2021 we had a lot of different component that was difficult but you know going from one plastic to the others uh it's uh it's thing that now we manage well sometimes it's more expensive but we're doing well then right now the roadblock that we see for growth next year is the the semiconductor and like we said, there was that fire in the Japan factory, uh, some difficulty with some microchips supplier in, the, in South Asia. But now the situation is getting better. Then where, from where we start today, we believe, and our component suppliers say the same, that this will improve with some ups and downs. And we are right now uh, planning with them uh, to uh, for a, a growth in fiscal year 23. Uh, and right now, this is our plan. Uh, we're planning for the growth and we'll manage to reach there.
8: Makes sense. If we just take a step back and look at some of the sort of the macro side of the equation, the consumer confidence numbers in the U.S. for August took a pretty big step down versus July. Are you seeing... Um, You know, some of the forward indicators, whether it's sales leads or credit applications, start to mirror sort of that broader macro backdrop or is the vehicle space still sort of a good contraindicator to where people really are spooked about Delta and traveling that they're sort of pivoting towards, um, you know, some of these safer vehicle discretionary purchases.
1: I think our industry might be a bit different than general consumer demand in the sense that you know The COVID uh, restriction forced many people to stop traveling. I think now people are restarting to travel, but it, now they realize it will be more complicated. It will take maybe a few years before it's back to what it used to be pre-COVID. And for us, we're still uh, happy to see that uh, ratio of new entrants buying our product. Uh, and when we look at those new entrants and we survey them, Uh, They are more family oriented, they are more women, they are younger uh, and even their household income have increased uh, versus the traditional uh, buyer that we had. And I think that's why we are quite optimistic about our future because uh, we believe that those new entrants could change the dynamic into our industries. Okay, thanks guys.
3: Your next question is from the line of Derek Delay with Kenacor Genuity.
8: Hi, good morning. Um, thanks for taking the question. I'm oh, actually Polkett and Derek associate, just filling in for him today. A uh, couple of questions for you guys. Um, could you speak to your capital allocation preferences going forward after that ramp up of wires is complete?
2: Yeah, good uh, good morning. Obviously, um, where we prioritize capital deployment, we've we've invested in, in capex and that's always been a priority of us investing in organic growth but we've been, been active in in terms of deployment for share buybacks as we've done in the last quarter um, our, our balance sheet is very strong uh, and so we have obviously options to deploy capital going forward uh, and and we're always mindful of uh, what's the best opportunity for uh, for the business that drives the better returns uh these are discussions we have on regularly with the board and with management And as i said next year our expectation is we'll have a another big year in terms of capex investments as we continue investing in in new products uh, such as uh, electric but also uh, just new introductions that we've done with the switch
8: that's really helpful thank you and then uh, as a follow-up i know limited promotional activity was a factor this quarter in terms of the gross margins but what do you view as a uh, more normalized gross margin target uh, looking forward
2: uh, well, this, this quarter we benefited from a, a good mix and also a better sales incentive. My expectation for the full year is that we'll probably get a, a 300 basis point positive coming from programs. That would be versus fiscal year 20, not last year, but versus fiscal year 20. And going forward, the expectation is that we probably keep 150 basis points of that.
8: That's great. Thanks a lot.
2: Thank you.
3: Your next question is from the line of Brian Morrison with TD Securities.
5: Thank you, good morning. This is Megan Annette on for Brian. Um, So, you know, understandably there are challenges in securing semiconductors and components, but can you just talk about your ability to secure those components given the planned increase in your capacity? Um, And did that contribute at all to the outperformance um, relative to the industry in Q2? And any thoughts you have on that dynamic for the second half of the year?
1: And on securing, uh, obviously, with the shortage that is happening in the world, uh, all uh, uh, electronic supplier are asking for a better visibility long term. Then uh, we gave to uh, our suppliers our need for fiscal year 23 a few months ago, and there is no surprise there. And we uh, have to commit maybe a bit longer than typically uh, in the past, then that's why uh, our supplier know exactly uh, what we expect to produce next year. Um, uh, we know the idea where it will be tight and we're working to improve either capacity or invested in more tooling. Uh, we are uh, been working on this for the last few months and that's why we are, again, we believe that from where we are today, things will improve with up ups and downs. But uh, with what we know, uh, we believe it will be better, but it will last probably till the end of 2022.
2: And on your question on, on our performance in the second quarter compared to the overall industry, obviously our teams have been uh, doing a phenomenal job. It, it is, a, I don't wanna say a nightmare to manage, but it's a, it's a daily battle uh, to make sure we get the parts necessary to build the units. And we've seen in certain product lines where we've gained significant market share in the second quarter. And and we believe it's because we've been able to produce more units to meet consumer demand than other OEMs. Um, And so obviously that's a a kudos to our team. Uh, But obviously we need to continue focusing on delivering uh, great results in the the next few quarters.
5: And just secondly, is there anything you can call out um, in terms of the operating expenses being below expectations in the quarter? Thank you.
2: It's tight it's management of expenses. Obviously, last year, uh, we went through COVID. We reduced costs significantly. So this year, this quarter, we saw an increase in overhead expenses. Uh, but obviously, uh, we're mindful of making sure that we spend money if necessary, uh, especially on the marketing front. Uh, obviously, there's scarcity in the network. There's good awareness for our brands. And so sometimes we we modulate what expenses we do uh, based on uh, on what's needed.
1: Thank you.
3: Your final question comes from the line of Craig Kennison with Bayard.
8: Hey, thanks for taking my question. This has been a very helpful call. Uh, just a quick one. Uh, will the supply chain issues
1: uh, that you're seeing have any impact on your electric vehicle timeline? For the time, no no we obviously we are at the period where we're building uh where we're developing the product uh and it's uh, engineering work and building prototype but no no delay on our program great thank you thank you very much
3: that ends the question and answer session are there any closing remarks
1: Yes, thank you. Uh, thank you all for joining us today and we look forward to speaking with you again for our third quarter conference call on December 1st. Thanks again everyone and have a good day.
3: This concludes the BRP Inc's second quarter results conference call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect.
4: Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Superbeats Heart Choose Advanced Superbeats Beats Heart Chews Advance are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, get a free 30-day supply of Super Beats Heart Chews on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's RadioBeats.com, code DEAL.
0: Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app.